You're listening to Nutrition Matters Podcast with Paige Smathers, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Hi everyone, it's Paige Smathers. Thanks so much for being here. Nutrition Matters Podcast explores what really matters in nutrition and health with a sensitive and realistic approach. To help support the podcast, please consider making a donation at positive-nutrition.com slash podcast. If you find this episode interesting, engaging, or helpful in your life, please consider donating, sharing with friends and family, and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever podcast app you use to listen to this podcast. You can leave a review about this podcast straight from your podcast app. Search Nutrition Matters Podcast, click Reviews, and then write a review. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to have a little more food for thought. Thank you for listening. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nutrition Matters Podcast. My name is Paige, and I'm your host, and I'm really excited to share this podcast with you about this brand new book called Nourish by Heidi Schuster. So Heidi and I, in this episode, talk about her book a little bit. We also just talk about sort of what does it mean to nourish yourself? We kind of center our conversation and our discussion around that topic. So um, for any of you who have read Intuitive Eating and kind of felt like, okay, I need, I need something to kind of help me make this make sense, I need a little bit more, or I need, what about structure? If you've ever felt kind of that way or had those questions, this podcast might be a good fit for you. So um, definitely super excited to share. Heidi is lovely. She's wonderful. Her book is awesome. And we'll give you all the details in the podcast episode. Before we dive into that, I wanted to answer a question I got recently that I thought was a good question. So occasionally people who I know in real life will say, uh, oh, I just found out you had a podcast. Tell me about that. Why, why do you do that? Does it bring in so much money? Is it like so good for your business? And, um, and it's always so funny when people ask me that kind of question because, uh, I mean, how how are they supposed to know what my intentions are and why it started? And you know, then it made me think of all of you. Why? How am I supposed to expect all of you to know exactly why a podcast and um, to have an idea of of course, kind of my intentions behind it? So um, the podcast started about three years ago, a little bit, a little bit uh, more than three years ago, and. I started the podcast because I literally, I know this might sound cheesy or weird, but I literally felt like I needed to. Um, I had gone through a really, really difficult time in my personal life, and I found this amazing community of people, um, basically pretty much through podcasts, who helped me not feel quite so alone, who uh, helped me sort of know that other people have similar things going on and just to hear the narratives and the stories and um, so much of what I could relate to, so much of what I couldn't relate to, all of it was just so enlightening and helpful. And I really fell in love with the podcast medium. So when I sort of felt like things were calming down in in my personal life, I kind of was like, ooh, I want to start a podcast. Um, But I want to start a podcast about what I do for work, because I would love to be able to kind of give people a free resource to to try to work on developing a healthy relationship with food. There's so much out there that is like, so, 
just stuff you feel like you're battling against constantly. So much diet culture stuff out there that I think if I can do a li- take a little bit of time where I'm sort of volunteering my time, others are volunteering their time and expertise. We're coming together, having these conversations, and then I'm putting it out into the world. Um, I I just feel good about that. I feel like that's a good thing for me to do. So that's where it all started. Obviously, I've learned so 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 much doing this. I've um, I've changed. I've grown. I've learned. I've gotten better at my job. I've I've learned from so many amazing people along the way. So. Um, yeah, I just wanted to explain that to you. This podcast is not like this sneaky marketing tool or like this, like, um, you know, master plan that I just laid out one night, uh, you know, anyway, it's more just like, I just threw this out there because I felt like I needed to, because I felt like I needed to give back because I had gotten so much, um, in my own experience. And so that's why I'm here. Um, there are side benefits of now I have this amazing audience of people who, um, who I'm able to connect with. And that's super special to me. And I'm just grateful for each one of you for listening. It's, it's really, um, pretty humbling to look at the numbers. Um, that's another thing that I wanted to sort of mention today is I don't publicly talk about my podcast downloads and I never will because I don't think that, you know, the numbers are why I'm here. And I don't think that that's any different from, you know, any of the diet culture stuff where we're like, this is how much I weigh and this is how much I weigh and this is my body fat percentage or whatever. I just feel like me saying this is my download numbers is no different from all of that stuff. So um, I don't even really like comparing my podcast numbers to someone else's because I'm proud of the audience that I have. I'm grateful for it. Even if it's one person who listens um, to me, it would be, it would still be super worth it. So I just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody was curious about the story of, of why it all got started. Um, and it's fun to be able to share with you stuff that I'm up to, um, sharing things like the, the online course that I just created, uh, sharing the upcoming events, uh, groups, things like that. So I hope that that still feels um, fair and reasonable for me to kind of let you know some things that are that are in the works and or are available to you because, you know, I get people reaching out to me, like many people on a daily basis, and it can be so tough to keep up with, you know, trying to give everybody resources and kind of be this middle middle ground or middle middle point for people to kind of point them in the right directions for resources. So, um, you know, the more products I create that can kind of help some of those answer some of those questions, the better. Um, so anyway, all of this is just to say I feel super grateful for the opportunity I have to podcast. Um, I've learned so much. It is such an honor to have so many of you, you know, putting your earbuds in each week and and tuning into the conversations that I have with these amazing people who come on. And I'm grateful, so, so, so grateful for it. Um, as always, if you're willing to leave a review, that is super helpful. Um, if you are willing or able to make a small donation, that's also helpful. I put all those donations into a separate account where I use that money for my continuing education, which makes the podcast possible, honestly. Um, connecting with other people and then also just learning new things. 
And um, the online course that I've just created, many of you will maybe have already heard of it from last week. I announced it. But uh, just to kind of let you know again, this brand new course is called Positive Nutrition 101. I co-teach the course with Jessie Hoffman, who is just about to get her PhD in nutritional sciences. She's a gut health expert. And what we've done with this uh, course is we have created a resource for folks who are ready for the gentle nutrition part of intuitive eating. So we talk about the science of macronutrients, metabolism, micronutrients. We talk about gut health. We talk about how to read a scientific study and how to wade through the literature. Uh, We talk about why diets don't work. We talk about meal planning, grocery shopping, exercise, normal eating, mindfulness. So the, the course is called Positive Nutrition 101, The Art and Science of Nutrition Without the Gimmicks. So a lot of times when you're learning about uh, the science of nutrition, people will say, and this is how you manipulate your body with this fact. Um, so that's what we're avoiding with this course is we're just giving you the science, but we're also trying to help you on a practical level apply this in a non-rigid, gentle, positive way. So if you want to check that course out, see if it might be a good fit for you, you can go to the website, positive-nutrition.com, and then just click on the link at the top left. It says it's Academy. Or if you're on your phone, just go up to the menu and then click on the Academy tab, and it will take you to um, the Positive Nutrition Academy. But right now, we only have one course in there, so it'll take you straight to to this course. So if you have any questions, reach out. Um, really proud of what we've put together with this course. It is awesome. Um, and we've already had many people sign up, so it's been super fun. Thanks for all the support along the way. Okay, so this week's podcast episode, I have Heidi Schuster on the podcast. We are talking about this question of what does it really mean to nourish yourself? Um, we center the conversation around that question. We talk a lot about why structure isn't necessarily a bad thing um, when you're trying to kind of let go of dieting. We talk about a lot of the questions each of us get in our in our practice in our practices about um, intuitive eating and the nuances of how to approach it. So I hope you enjoy this podcast episode and thank you so 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 much for being here. Well, hi, Heidi. Welcome to Nutrition Matters Podcast. And wow, thanks so much for being here and for the work you do. I'm so excited to dive in. Thank you, Paige, for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. (laughs) Me too. Okay, so take a minute and just talk about kind of who you are at a high level, what you do, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty. Well, I am a nutrition therapist um, registered dietitian. I'm a certified eating disorders registered dietitian in the greater Boston area. Um, and I do counseling for people who struggle with disordered eating of one type or another. Uh, I also run groups and I've just written a book. Um, and I do some teaching also at Plymouth state university in their eating disorders Institute, which is a kind of a graduate certificate program for people who are in different disciplines but want um, specialization in eating disorders work. So that's my focus in my education. Um, I also do supervision for other nutritionists and dietitians who work in this field. So I've been doing this work for like 22 years now, I think it is. Um, but I love it. And um, it's um, always, I'm always learning and growing in the field. 
Yeah, never a dull moment, right? Like seriously, (laughs) always learning, which is which is both painful and also liberating and amazing and never makes you bored, right? But it's it's a lot. It's intense stuff. Yes, it is. It's a, it can be a challenging field to work in, but very rewarding because I get to see people get better and mm, recover totally. and sort of flower in their lives because they are um, improving their relationship with their bodies and with food. So I had a moment like so that yesterday where a client came in and, and just had such incredible things to report about her recovery. And um, you know, not every day is like that when you do this work, but the, the days that, that are is just so, ah, you know, it just mm-hmm. keeps you going, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And I did change things up a little bit last year and um, decided that I was going to dig into writing and publishing. Finally, I had been doing quite a bit of writing on my blog, but um the idea, like the con, like writing a book has been something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but never really sunk my teeth into really doing to really like take all the little pieces of writing that were all over the place and putting it into one place. So that was my big project for Yay. last year. And when, and did, when did your book get released? It was released on it last spring. This really just a matter of months ago. And, um, it's um, been exciting to sort of have it out in the world doing its thing right now. What's been, okay, so well, well, before we get into that, let me let me ask at a high level, like what was the reason for writing the book? What question were you, questions or, or um, topics were you kind of hoping to answer or discuss or explore or what kind of need were you trying to meet, I guess is what I'm trying to ask with that question. That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I... Um, I have struggled over the years that I've been in practice when people ask me the question, um, Heidi, can you recommend a very good basic nutrition book? Um, and there's just not a lot of books that I can recommend, um, for the average person who, um, wants to get some advice about what to eat. And the way that I work with my clients, for example, is to not really tell them what to eat, but to really help them connect with their inner wisdom and learn some skills for building their own sort of self-connected eating style. I talk about that in the book. And I think that's something that's useful for everyone, not just people with eating disorders, but there's not, I mean, there are some books like that have inspired my writing, like intuitive eating, for example, of course, um, yeah. For sure. And, you know, some of the concepts of mindfulness um, that are out there in lots of different books. But there wasn't one that sort of boiled down um, a little bit more about nutrition, a little bit more about mindfulness, and a little bit more about this, the techniques, like the behavioral techniques that I use in my work. So I wanted to put that all together and create something that taught people how to really fully nourish themselves, whether they were recovering from an eating disorder or maybe were um, kind of struggling with their, they had just kind of a funky relationship with food, but not necessarily an eating disorder, or whether they're just the average person who wants some advice about having more attuned eating. So I was really trying to um, fill a need And I've been thinking about it for so long and it's just 
it's at at this one point I was just feeling like it was starting to be written in my head and just wanted to be written. And I was just the vehicle. It was like, that is so amazing. It was out there. And I like, we had little pieces of it on my blog, but it just, it kind of needed to come out of me. So that was the process. It was not really a, um, a linear, like organized process. It was just like, okay, it's time. I just need to do it. And, um, and you know, then obviously I had to get focused and organized to, to do it. But the creative process was felt kind of, um, out there in some way, some, almost like a spiritual, it's, it's time, it's time to put this in writing. Yeah. Okay. So I loved when you talked about that a little bit in your book, you were saying that, I I don't know if I'm going to paraphrase it correctly, but just the idea of like this monumental task of sitting down and writing your book felt like so much to take on. And then only when you just kind of allowed it to be imperfect and just kind of flow were you able to actually like write is that right did I summarize that okay or or do you remember the part I'm talking about where you were kind of mentioning like you were putting it off or you were having a tough time with the whole writing process yes I think I you know I I do put a lot of my own nuggets into this book um, and I have my own recovery history too so obviously that informs my writing but Absolutely. I, um, you know, I have a perfectionist side. I sometimes call myself a recovering perfectionist. Um, and there are many times when I really struggled with the writing or the organization. And at some point I often just sort of have to let go and say, okay, this isn't going to flow perfectly, or this isn't going to maybe say exactly what I want to say in the perfect sentence. And I just have to let go of that. Um, and when I would do that, And I kind of took the editor out of my head and said, you know what, I can edit later. That's going to be a long process. And it was. Um, But I'm going to let the editor rest so that I can just creatively express what I think is important and really think of um, the people that I'm writing for who are struggling. Then I was really able to just let things flow. I I was writing to a particular person. I was writing to... um, you know, the person that I wanted to speak to, as opposed to trying to, to get it just right, to get it to look just right or, or flow just right. And it would just flow. Um, when oh, I did it's that. so interesting. It's like so similar to the work we do with our clients, right? It's like when you expect or try yes. to be perfect, you're so paralyzed, you can't even do any, you can't really can't do anything. And it's only when you allow yourself to just be, you know, be what it is, let it be what it is. And then recognize that, you know, we can make tweaks here and there along the way, but it's never going to be perfect. Um, and just kind of letting yourself live in the meantime is, is so interesting that, that, that you write about how that was part of the experience of writing this book that in the end says so much about what you're already, what you're actually saying in the book as well. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think when we, um, try to, get every bite that we put into our mouth perfect. Um, or, you know, we're thinking about health in like kind of a black or white kind of perfectionistic way, then we don't enjoy our food. We tend to make choices with our food that are erratic. And, um, you know, we kind of rebel against a little bit of that perfectionism at times. And then it, it, you know, we don't have that sort of flowing, easy, comfortable relationship with food. So yes, absolutely. Like I think when we let go and allow ourselves to enjoy food um, and to appreciate um, the, all the different qualities of food, we sort of naturally eat 
in a healthful, balanced way. And we also sort of enjoy food in the way that I think food is intended to be. Um, it wouldn't. It tastes good for a reason. It's a sensory experience for a reason. Um, and so we try to balance that with our choices um, that we know help our bodies feel good, and we can get more attuned at listening to that. Of course, like we can we can li- figure out what feels good in our bodies and what doesn't feel good in our bodies, and use that information instead of trusting someone else who doesn't who isn't our body. Right. <laughs> um, to tell us what to eat. And I think that you're right. That's absolutely part of it. So talk about this word nourish. That's the title of your book. We haven't said that yet. Um, So it's called nourish, how to heal your relationship with food, body and self. Uh, Why you talk about it in the book, why you, how you were able to come up with that one word title. Talk about what that was like for you and also what that word means. And then also, sorry, I'm asking like 80 questions in one. <laughs> but also like, I think it's kind of interesting to have you maybe mention why language matters. Um, I have this conversation a lot with my clients. Um, I really think language is important when it comes to um, the type of work that we do with our clients. And I'd love to hear kind of why you picked this particular word. Such a great um, question, and I have to actually credit my daughter, Kyla, who is now thir- 13, who um, for picking that, that one word. I was struggling with um, the title. My practice has been called Nourishing Words Nutrition Therapy for some time, and um, my blog is called A Nourishing Word, so I had the sense that I wanted to use that word. I, I like the word nourish. To me, it speaks to not just feeding ourselves, but also um, kind of feeding our spirits, um, taking care of ourselves on a like mind, body, spirit level. At least that's kind of what it conjures up for me. It's not just nourishment like in the, a digestive sense, but also in a holistic sense. So I like that word anyway, but, the, but I was sort of struggling with all the different words of the title. Um, and my daughter who was like, I think she was reading the book wonder with her classmates. Um, it's a great movie, but, um, but she's like, well, we're reading this book that has a one word title. She's like, and that's kind of cool. She's like, maybe you should just call it nourish. And I just said, Kyla, you're brilliant. <laughs> so um, that's it. <laughs> that was it. Um, was I love like, that word too. There were, there were so many moments like that that were just like, okay, that's it, you know. Um, and that was one of them. But um, but that's the when you know you're hard. on the right creative track. I think when when things just kind of flow and and make sense, and you have those moments of like, oh yeah, that's it. Um, yes, that's so yeah. cool. How fun. I do think language matters too. And see, nourishment, the, the, the word nourish speaks to me in that way. And it also, I think, um, you know, I, I, my logo for my business has always been the mint leaf. Um, and I have a, I have a strong relationship with plants. I'm a gardener and, um, I love, growing herbs and making my own teas and it's something that I, I just, it's my hobby. I'm like definitely have this relationship with plants. Um, and so like the idea of nourishment, um, or nourishment even like has always been my logo, my little nourishment, I call it. Um, Oh, that's cool. um, I didn't think of that. That's funny. Yeah. Most people don't. (laughs) And I don't think that's even like kind of how it started thinking of it that way, but that's kind of what it became. 
Um, and it just made sense to continue to use that symbol on the cover. Um, so little moments of creativity like that where things just kind of came together and made sense. Um, and, you know, I, I don't need to go into all the reasons why Mint speaks to me too on so many levels, you can kind of imagine. But I think, I think you're right, words and images matter. Um, and they, um, you know, hopefully have come together to create something that can be helpful to others. And I, I feel really good about the feedback that I've gotten so far. Yeah, that was kind of my next question. How, what has been the response to the book so far? It's been very positive, which of course is heartwarming for me. I mean, I live in a very privileged area um, in the Boston area where there's lots of resources for people who want help with their relationship with food and their bodies or who have eating disorders or who want to find health at every size practitioners, for example, um, who are um, able to help them uh, with their relationship with food or with kind of a non-diet way of operating in their work in nutrition counseling. But not everywhere in the country or the world has um, the privilege that we have. So um, to be able to create something that's an inexpensive um, book that those who might be struggling could read and get some wisdom, get some strat real strategies to work on, and then um, maybe even realize that they need more support and allow them to reach out and get some more support if they need it. Um, that's, that's really what this is about. And I've been so happy to hear that people who are in recovery from eating disorders and people who don't have eating disorders have both found it helpful on different levels. So yay. amazing. Yeah. So just making it, making resources available and kind of helping to start a conversation or an exploration in, in an individual, uh, who might, you know, just read the book and say, Oh my gosh, I know what I need to do and I'm good to go now. And then other people who might realize, wow, I really need to reach out for more help. Absolutely. That's great. So, okay. So this, this word nourish to me, um, I'm sure you're the, the same way where I've spent so many years of my career trying to figure out like how to talk about food and nutrition and eating and our relationships with all of that in a way that is kind of not gimmicky, um, but stays true to the science, feels ethical, also feels really grounding and positive and um, health promoting, you know, in in more ways than just nutrients, but just, you know, really holistic. And even that word is kind of hard because it's been co-opted in a lot of ways. But um, but this word nourish has come up for me a lot, too, where I'm just like, that's a good word. That word uh, just kind of implies more than just like this transactional robotic um, put input of nutrients into my body. It's like, yeah, of course, there's the nutrient and the mechanistic side of eating. But then there's this there's this other part that is. Um, the sensory experience, like you were saying earlier, the the pleasurable experience of eating, the connection with other people, the connection to our culture and our heritage, and all these other things. And so I I just love that word. And so I don't know if I if I'm making too big of a deal about your title, but <laughs> but I think it's great. And um, I think language matters. And I think the word nourish is such a good kind of grounding, maybe even like mantra. Um, 
for people to just ask themselves, like, does this feel nourishing to me right now? Does this feel like something, a way that I would nourish someone else? Does this feel like a way that I would um, talk about someone else? You know, and so there's so many great implications, not only just on the nutrition side, but also on the self-care side, on the mental health and well-being side that I think, I think nourish is a really good, good word for people to have on their tongues and to kind of be questioning and thinking about and using as a guide. Absolutely. I love that question. Like, is this nourishing for me, whether it's about food or about people you spend time with or the activities that you do like to really like connect with yourself, which is a part of what I talk a lot about in the book, um, to really figure out first, like what are your values and needs and like, who are you at your core? Right. Um, which is which is sometimes something that we don't we don't do enough exploration. We kind of take at face value who we're supposed to be based on our communities or families or you know our, you know what we believe our shoulds are out there in the world for who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to operate in the world. And we're all really, as I say, different wacky, you know, individual human beings. And you know, at any given moment, we can just stop slow down, take a deep breath and say, is this really nourishing for me? Like, is this experience, is this food, is this person, you know, is this what I want to be nourishing myself with right now? And I think you're right, that's a fabulous question and it will help you to build those self-care practices that are sustaining, which I do talk a lot about and that doesn't really have much to do with food, but I believe often that we use food to kind of fill in the gaps when we don't take care of ourselves in other ways. Um, whether it's getting very obsessive and restrictive with food and controlling around it, or whether it's um, just eating mindlessly or eating to kind of soothe and treat ourselves, that we use food a lot of times when we're not taking care of ourselves in other ways because food is so connected to care um, and you know care on many levels from the time we were little tiny babies. So I think that question of, you know, what activities, what um, types of things in the world nourish me is such a great question. And as you build more of those things into your life, my sense is, and I see this with all of my clients in their recovery journeys, that food falls into place. It's like, it's still important, um, but it's not the most important way that someone nurtures themselves or finds control in their life or takes care of themselves or feels good about themselves. It takes a proper place in your life where, yeah, right. You know, it doesn't have to be so encompassing. It doesn't have to be something you think about all the time or, um, you know, that that's how you feel good about yourself because you're eating well or whatever. It doesn't, that drops away and it's like, it is a pleasure and it is a way you nourish yourself but it's only one of the ways. Yeah, that's such a great point. So if someone's new to the podcast, I'm always I'm always trying to be sensitive of of, you know, someone who might just find this podcast on iTunes and be totally new to this world of intuitive eating and um kind of gentle nutrition and stuff like that. So when when you're saying um like when I said the 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 thought of what is really nourishing to me right now. I want to dive into that just a little bit because the typical sort of dieting world or someone in the real dieting mindset might say, well, 
what's nourishing is to be the lowest calorie possible and the highest um, vitamin and mineral content possible. And that, you know, just kind of that typical really nutrient um, way of looking at food. And I just wanted to kind of start a conversation with you a little bit about the nuance there, because for sure, this question of what's going to nourish me right now can can yield results of like, well, I do, I want to cook at home and I want to eat this balanced meal. But I also want to say that sometimes what's n- nourishing to you, uh, like you were saying earlier, maybe won't won't be food related at all. But also what might be nourishing to you might actually be something that someone in the dieting mindset might deem unhealthy, right? And I I don't love that term, but I'm just using it because I want to kind of speak the language of someone who might be new to this space. Um, So just when we're saying that this question of what's nourishing to me right now feels like a good guiding question, I really want to specify that that doesn't necessarily mean that the result is always going to be salads. You know, sometimes what's nourishing to you is a slice of cake or ice cream with the family or going out to a restaurant and enjoying, you know, fettuccine Alfredo or something like that. So just being really careful to not um, make it seem like we're saying, oh, here's the magical answer to being perfect at your diet. You just ask yourself what's nourishing, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad, Paige, that you brought that out because, um, and I'm so steeped in like thinking about food that way that like, um, that yes, you're right. It's important for us to to put that out there because a lot of um, a lot of the world does not think that way about food. Um, does not think that like ice cream might be a healthy choice. Like my my kids know that like ice cream is a healthy choice for them on a hot summer day. <laughs> like we have that like we actually use that language. Like oh, this is such a good choice. You know, this is such a, a perfect choice right now. Um, but I think um, you know in some ways, like this sort of black and white thinking about food is pretty prevalent. Um, And you're right, it might be nourishing for you one day to have a salad because, you know, you haven't had a, you know, you've, you've had a full meal recently, and you're not that hungry. And it's a hot day and something crisp and cool would feel refreshing. But maybe on, on another day, what's nourishing for you is actually a burger because you're feeling more robustly hungry and you, your body's really wanting something with that kind of heaviness and that much protein and and fat in it. And and it's calling for that. And I think when we learn to really listen to our bodies and kind of listen to what is wanted um, and needed in the moment, by the body, then we get better at making those choices and they don't even have to be perfect. Like we don't even have to quote unquote, get it right. Like sometimes we undereat and sometimes we overeat, but we just kind of learn like what over time, like what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And, um, you know, and then we move forward with that knowledge that we learn about ourselves and our bodies. Um, yes. And it's different for everyone. Like we all have different constitutions, which is why I get frustrated when somebody says, okay, here's this diet, um, as if it's going to work for everyone. Um, but if you look around, we all have very unique, different bodies. Um, so we can't possibly need to eat the same way. Um, and people all over the world have like grown and developed with lots of different cuisines. So I don't think there's really one way to eat. It's just figuring out what kind of works for you 
and what allows you to be in your life in the most present way because you're not stressing so much about it. Exactly. Oh, I love that. And I don't know how much you know about me, Heidi, but just just so you know, I'm really, uh, really interested in exploring nuance um, because I think uh, I think that obviously the dieting mentality in the dieting world is extremely black and white. Um, but I also think mm-hmm. that sometimes mm-hmm. the people who are mm-hmm. fighting against the dieting perspective and paradigm are also kind of just saying the opposite and not necessarily leaving room for conversations about salads or, you know, for instance, right? So, um, so I'm really in the work that I do with the podcast and with my writing and with my sort of stuff I put out into the world, uh, beyond my client work and well, even in client sessions, I'm really interested in exploring kind of what's that middle way? What's that like, how can we exist in this gray kind of nuanced, messy space that is life and um, and really be real about what that that might look like or what how that might feel. So that's why I wanted to mention the idea of, you know, just kind of anticipating what someone might be thinking, which is, oh, well, here are two dietitians saying that what's nourishing to me. I can just see how that could potentially come off as very much just, you know, dieting reincarnated. Right, right. And I I so appreciate the way you talk about messy space, because life is kind of messy. Like, oh, yeah, um, I I realize that much more now that I have two teenagers. Um, But I think I've like, I think just having kids, like, even babies, it's literally messy, (laughs) open my eyes to like, the fact that like, wow, um, absolutely. Um, life doesn't always flow the way you want it to. You can't wake up in the morning and say, this is what I'm going to do today all the time, especially if you have a family um, where there are other needs and um, emotions and things that have to be taken care of in the mix. And you kind of have to be able to both stay true to yourself in most of your moments as much as you can, but also take into account the unpredictability, you know, or the messiness, as you say, of life, um, which as it unfolds, and the more you can do that, um, and I think this goes with food and, you know, because you can't always have exactly what you want to eat if you're going to be eating lunch at a friend's house or, um, or out, you're out at a street fair and you have, you know, it's like you may have to eat something that you normally wouldn't eat, but it actually is nourishing to eat lunch and not skip it. Totally. So, you know, so it's like being able to just kind of roll with the with the fabric of life. Um, and I think that's um, that I like that idea of really finding the nuance and the sort of allowing the messy space to just be there and um, to be present with it. Yeah, I think if we're asking our clients to embrace imperfection and nuance and messiness, I think we as providers have to figure out how how to set that example or how to embody that in the work we do and in our communication. Uh, I feel strongly about that personally. I know other people might see it a different way, but um, that just really speaks to me and to my lived experience just personally in life. I think I think that the messy is really where it's at, even though it's like scary and hard. But I think it's I think it's a good it, it works for me at least, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I think that's where we grow. Those those like those sort of messy, unpredictable moments are when we get encouraged to stretch and grow um, as people. 
um, as, yes, as, so as ourselves and, um, and their important creative growth moments. Awesome. Yes, I totally agree. So this question of how does one nourish themselves, um, you really do such a great job in your book kind of doing sort of like this step-by-step system, which I know is like kind of scary language for like people like you and me who we do, we don't like to tell people exactly what to do. We like to help them explore what's right for them. But what I loved about, about your book is you, I think, I feel like what you're doing here is you're giving people sort of a framework to kind of say, hey, here's where you might want to start. And as you move through it, you might need to go back to, you know, the first principle or the first section or step. There are steps, right? Um, You might need to go back to the first step because it might, you know, get confusing or you might struggle with it or it might be something that, you know, gets in your way or is a roadblock for you to continue to move forward. So I think you do a good job of like, helping people recognize that, you know, you might like the idea of steps and here they are, but also recognize this isn't linear and you might need to revisit things. And um, I just think, I think that you do a really good job of doing that. Talk about what that was like to kind of navigate how to provide steps without making it seem really like formulaic. Well, thank you for saying that. First of all, Paige, I appreciate that because it was very intentional um, to try to create something that, um, works for those of us who have, of, you know, kind of a more numeric kind of like organized brain and like things in that way. Um, but who also, um, know that like most things in life, um, we don't always follow a, a very linear path. So it's like, I, my, I wanted to create some steps to just give people some structure because I actually believe that some structure in rhythm is grounding. I agree. I agree. Um, I totally but, agree. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm a New Englander. So for me, the seasons are so um, grounding, um, even though they're changing you know, frequently here. Um, Summer's but leaving some- us. I'm kind of sad about that. Not going to lie. <laughs> I know. But there's there's something about some rhythm and some um, kind of structure that can be really helpful. But I also wanted to not have anyone feel locked into this structure in any way. So to create something that's not linear, um, that I keep saying over and over in the book, um, that, you know, this is not meant to be sort of done in a linear way. Um, but like you said, you may have to go back and revisit parts of the other steps uh, in order to kind of move forward. And um, so, you know, I, I really, I, I'm a big fan of balance. That's probably one of my other favorite words. Um, I'm a stilt performer on the side. So like I'm, I'm Whoa, particularly like literally, interested yeah. in balance um, <laughs> as, a, as a, like an embodied practice. Sure. But, um, but I, um, but for me, like my right brain and left brain um, are both, they both have some, they both need to be um operated on in some ways on a regular basis. And so the, the part of me that likes structure and likes, um, kind of regular, um, routine and the part of me that likes the sort of creative, messy, um, you know, all over the place kind of way that things flow, um, sort of came together to create that system. And um, I love it. So I'm trying to appeal to people who operate on both of those levels. And I think we all do 
on some level, but some mm-hmm. people kind of lean more to one side than the other. Yeah, no, I think that's wise because, you know, sometimes the feedback I get from clients about the book Intuitive Eating is, I mean, obviously so much amazing feedback as well, you know, on top of this, but sometimes people say like, ah, this just feels like, I, um, like, it's just so abstract, it's so willy-nilly, it's so kind of just, like, lacking structure, or, like, I just don't have a clear visual of, like, what this might look, um, look like, and so sometimes having conversations about, you know, how you're, you're, you can have, like, just the other day, I had this, um, I had this conversation with someone where they were asking, well, am I allowed to plan meals if I'm, trying to work on intuitive eating and it's like yes you're allowed to have a plan as as to what to eat so that you know what to buy at the grocery store so that you don't have to like reinvent the wheel and think it through every single day like it's okay to have you know a plan that that works for you and helps you live the life you want to live there's more to intuitive eating than simply you know eating exactly what you're craving each and every moment because that's just not practical or realistic for you know a lot of people for some people it is they can just run out and grab whatever uh when they want it but for others it's like you know you got to eat lunch when it's lunchtime at work and you got to eat dinner with your family and you got to kind of plan to be hungry at certain times throughout the day and um i know for me i don't necessarily always eat exactly what i want because sometimes the cost benefit analysis yields well this is what i packed for lunch i'd much rather go to chipotle and get a burrito but I only have a half hour and, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So um, right. all of that is just to say, I think, uh, recognizing what type of personality you are, what type of person you are, exploring and experimenting with, like, do I like a little bit of structure? Do I like more flexibility? Uh, can I find this nice balance for me in between structure and flexibility that feels really nourishing and grounding and positive? I think ultimately is is where where people want to go. And that might look different person to person. Absolutely. And I, you know, I have the greatest respect for, um, Evelyn Tripoli, um, and Elise Resch and their, um, intuitive eating. I mean, to me, it was a landmark. Um, oh my goodness. Back in the night. They 90s, are pioneers. Was, yes. When I was a young dietitian and I'll, you know, my, and I've used a lot of their wisdom, um, as well as wisdom of others, that I was introduced to early on, like, um, Alan Satter, for example, absolutely kind of inform, my, yes. inform my process here. So it's like, I, this is, I'm, it, I'm, none of this is really all my own. It's very eclectic and there's a lot of resources in the book as well. But, um, but I think you're right. Like, uh, I think what I'm trying to do, um, that might feel a little bit different, or maybe there's just, it's not that that's not part of intuitive eating, but I think there's a stronger emphasis maybe here is just on the, um, kind of getting to know yourself working through, I use a little bit more acceptance and commitment therapy work or act work, um, and some universal human needs assessments to kind of connect a little bit more with your own needs, your own, um, values, and then try to sort of develop your own, self-connected style of eating, which actually may change over time and also changes, you know, in your proximity to food and, um, your environment and all of that. Um, but yes, you're right. Absolutely. Sometimes if you're going to be an eater and if you're going to feed a family, you sometimes have to plan like those, um, clients I've worked with who never do any kind of food planning, 
you know, struggle. I mean, you have to, you know, occasionally go to the grocery store and do and stock up, or you occasionally are going to go away for a weekend. And if you want to sort of economically, um, make things work for yourself, you might not eat all of your meals out. You may have to pack some food for your weekend, or you might need to, like you said, pack a lunch that you're going to have to eat in the small half hour that you get at work. So there's, there is planning that's involved in, um, eating well. Um, and it's more about taking care of yourself than it is about perfect nutrition. It's more about like, okay, what am I going to need to get through my busy afternoon? Um, what, like what snacks do I want to have in my purse or backpack so that like, you know, I, you know, I don't get stuck when I'm on the carpool with my kids or you know, it's just really trying to like make food be one of those places where you take really good care of yourself. Absolutely. And just for the record, I don't want anyone to feel confused. Um, I, I didn't mean that as like a criticism for intuitive eating, more so just kind of relaying what, what some of my clients who read or maybe even don't get all the way through, which I think happens a lot, through the book Intuitive Eating and kind of they're left with some, some confusion about how um, intuitive eating fits in with, with this idea of structure. I personally believe that the book is like, does a good job of exploring that and, um, and giving you the freedom and the ability to, to explore what's right for you. <laughs> but it's, I think there's so much conversation about intuitive eating, um, you know, online and in session that I think even sometimes people don't read the book and just hear sure. the words and assume that they know what it means. So just for the record, definitely not trying to, you know, say, oh, this book is so terrible and yours is so much better or something like that. You know, it's just I, I kind of wanted to help the the listener understand how how this book might be um, similar in some ways and then differ in others. And so I think you did a really good job of of explaining that. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of interpretations of intuitive eating. And I think you're right. Not everyone has really read through and digested all of um, the pieces of it. And I think we, um, you know, we live in a different world than um, the, today, where in some ways, there's such a moral imperative around health and eating, quote unquote, well, whatever that means. Um, and it, I think it just gets more and more confusing um, for people to figure out what to eat. It is based confusing. On all the information that's out there. And so I think it's even more complicated now than it was when um, when that book first came out. Yeah, I think you're right. I think mm. you're right. It is more complicated. <laughs> the internet wasn't really around then. I mean, they wrote, they came out with that book in the early nineties, right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. So it's, it's a different, I mean, I think they've updated it right. quite a bit since, but there's, you know, there's, I think it's hard to live in the world today because there's so much information and, um, you know, so much that you have to digest to figure out, you know, pun intended, to sort of figure out like, well, what it, what's, what's the message that's trying to be communicated here? I do a lot of that kind of meter, like sort of media literacy with my um, daughters around it's like, huge. Well, do you really think that like, that this, you know, do you, what do you think they're really trying to do? Are they really trying to sell you that product? <laughs> you know, do you think maybe that's what this is about? And it's not that it's really going to make your face look, you know, this glowing. And, you know, I think, I mean, it's just like just really kind of understanding the motivation behind all the things that you read. 
it can be really hard to do because there's just so much information. Yes, that's so true. That's yep. so true. I want to I want to take a minute and ask you. You said that your book also you do talk about mindfulness. You talk about um, acceptance and commitment therapy, and then another thing that that I was drawn to because I recently was exposed to this, but don't have um, any formal training in. But I wanted to hear from your perspective a little bit about um, internal family systems. Do you, will you just take a few minutes to talk about how you might, or what that is, first of all, and then how you might use that in practice and what people might be able to take away from that approach? Sure. I do talk a little bit about um, IFS or internal family systems in the book, although I want to preface this that I have not also had formal training. Um, Some of my colleagues have had much more formal training in IFS work than I have, but I'm familiar with it um, on, you know, on many different levels and have done quite a bit of reading um, and even um, done some of the work myself. So I'm familiar with it, but I'm by no means trained in this area. But I can tell you that like sort of the foundational belief of this model of therapy, I guess you could say, is that we all have a self and we are living and experiencing life um, from a place of self um, when we kind of embody like a calm, curious, compassionate, connective creative part of us. Um, like, like that is our self, our main self is sort of like when we're feeling kind of our most, um, let's say connected and calm and, um, clear, let's put it that way. But as we move through life and, you know, all of those inevitable messy challenges of life, we begin to sort of develop parts with the main intention of protecting the, the, the capital S self, like the big self, um, and these parts are can be like experienced in lots of different ways. They can be just thoughts or feelings or sensations. Um, they could be like an inner voice, like maybe even a critical voice. Um, so these um, sometimes these parts actually develop some pretty extreme um, roles to protect us um, or to sort of hold our pain and our vulnerability. Um, and these protective parts can be like more rigid and controlling. Um, they actually, in IFS, they call them managers, or they can be sort of more like distracting and impulsive. Um, and those are called firefighters. Um, so for example, if I was, um, going to use a little bit of IFS language with a client, um, if I'm asking a question about something that's challenging and the client sort of changes the subject and kind of distracts us from the topic at hand, I might gently, if they have this language and they're, they're, if they're working, say with an IFS therapist, I might say, I feel like there might be a firefighter here in the room, like, because I was asking you a question about your food and then you sort of talk, started talking about something else, like not to put them on the spot, but to just, you know, if the client is using that language to sort of help point out that there's a part that's in the room, you know, so these parts, um, are just really parts of us, but they aren't ourself. But I think what happens and what can cause problems is when we sort of identify one of those parts, um, as like kind of who we are, or we like over identify with them. Um, and 
we also run into problems if we start judging one of those parts, like, oh, this part, I don't like this part of myself. Um, and then we try to fix it. But actually, we need to sort of embrace and honor that we have this kind of part in us, um, that we're not all like we're not all perfect human beings who are always happy and joyful all the time, that sometimes we have darker parts or parts that are um, wounded or, you know, and just being able to create compassion. So anyway, um, I don't know if that gives you yeah, no, it does. A, nutshell, a good nutshell, but it's sort of like ideally creates being able to talk about these little parts of us allows us to have hopefully more self-compassion and more ability to um, kind of work with what's coming up for us instead of blaming others um, or, you know, distracting, um, but to really sort of give language for like what's happening inside well, of and, us. And on the language level, it's really interesting because we actually kind of uh, naturally use that language where we'll say, you know, a lot of times my clients will say, well, part of me wants to do this thing that we're trying to work on with the recovery. And then the other, another part of me kind of feels like I don't want to. Right. So it's, mm -hmm. it, I, I, that's what I like about this idea. And some, it's something that I want to explore more in my, um, my own, my own um, study. Now, just FYI for anyone listening, Richard Schwartz, is that the book that you've read, Heidi? That is, yeah, that okay. he's sort of like one of the pioneers, I yeah. think he may be the pioneer, and he's definitely done the most writing on, okay. on this method. Um, so I have that on my list of, of books to read. Um, but but what I like about that is it's sort of the, the way we naturally try to express our ambivalence or our, um, you know, our our barriers to, you know, well, I, yeah, part of me wants to do this, and part of me feels this way, and like, and then we can also recognize that there is sort of like these parts of us that try to keep us, uh, our, our capital S self, like safe. And I, I just think that it's such an interesting way of conceptualizing, um, conceptualizing even an eating disorder voice or disordered eating, yes. because it, when you, when you think of your eating disorder as this terrible voice that's just like the worst thing ever and you're so terrible because you're listening to it. I mean, it, maybe for some people that that's the way they want to conceptualize it. But for others, maybe it's helpful to realize, oh, this is just a part of me that is trying to keep me safe. What is that about? You know, and maybe it, maybe it has my best intentions at heart and maybe I need to to explore what that could mean. Um, so that's my very surfacey understanding of internal family systems, but I, I saw that in your book and I was like, ooh, I want to ask her about that. So, Yeah, I mean, I think it just helps you to um, come at any kind of personal growth work from a place of curiosity and of compassion, you know, self-compassion, um, because it allows you to kind of understand the complexity of yourself um, and all, those, all these little parts of you, um, and you can give them names or you can give them um, you know, little figures or whatever, like the, the, the practitioners who do this work do, you know, actually practice it in different ways, but regardless of what you do to identify those parts within you, um, to just really, it helps you to know yourself and also to just be more curious about, well, why would this part have developed? Like, why do I have this sort of over-controlling manager or why do I have this critic? Where did that yeah. come from? 
yeah, you know, exactly. it must have, it must be serving a purpose. It must be keeping me safe somewhat, somehow. Exactly. And that, that compassionate view rather than the, I'm so terrible for having this manager or this firefighter view, I think is just really, um, it just feels really positive and really helpful to progress forward and to be compassionate. So, um, Heidi, I also want, I kind of want to close on this idea and this question here. So there's, there's a quote from chapter two that just really stood out to me. And I think hits on this question of how, like, what does it mean to nourish yourself? Um, so you say, we can't even begin to take good care of the bodies we have if we hate them or if we loathe the person within Um, So this to me is really why I spend so much time and energy talking about um, self-love. And I know that that's sort of a buzzy, sort of annoying word right now, but, but, you know, it can seem sort of peripheral. Like, why are these dietitians talking about self-love? Like, what does that have to do with food? But I really think that this is, this is what matters. And you've hit on this where you said in the earlier, you said food falls into place when you can really figure out how to have um, a healthy and positive relationship with with yourself. Um, wh- what does that bring up t- for you? And and does that sort of hit on what what is central to to you writing the book? I would imagine it is, but I'm also open to being wrong there. No, I, I think that was a it is a central theme. Um, I mean, it's certainly a big part of step two, which is um, the title of that chapter is body acceptance, if not love. So it's about it's, it's real about accepting the body. And there's a lot specifically around the, you know, learning to actually accept and love and appreciate your body, even if you don't like every nook and cranny of it. But, um, but I think ultimately getting to a place where we stop believing that our bodies are flawed, um, and need to be fixed and actually shifting to sort of a whole self acceptance, Um, that like, not only is our body acceptable, but our body is really only one part of who we are as a whole person. Um, and so the more we can actually kind of integrate and take in that view of ourselves, that's very, um, you know, again, that word holistic, like you said, it's been a bit co-opted, but it's really kind of a whole self or, you know, or a holistic view of the self where we kind of accept all parts of us like body, mind, spirit, like we are, you know, our body is just one part of us. I think in our culture, probably because we're such visual people, um, and you know, because of some evolutionary reasons, probably too, like our, our bodies get so much attention. Um, and yes, they're important. They're, you know, they are our vehicles here on this planet, but I think they aren't all of who we are. And so much of the struggle that a lot of people have with food and their bodies, and I think, you know, some of the grounding um, forces of eating disorders are this like sort of desire to fix the body or to like to somehow use the body as a way to communicate something, um, whether it's conscious or not. And so I think to be able to actually connect more with our whole self and then communicate really clearly in the world, what we want and what we need, as opposed to using our bodies as a way to communicate that. Um, and just like kind of honoring our bodies for what they are and what they can do for us is like, it's such a big part of the recovery process. And it's such a complicated, um, journey for so many, but such an important one. So I think always going back to, um, you know, body acceptance. It's one of those steps that I think we always continually have to go back to in the recovery process. 
um, to just sort of like, yes, like I don't have to love every little part of my body, but I have to sort of take good care of it and accept that this is, this is what's here with me. Well, and to recognize that you, you're more than your body. And so Mm -hmm. yes, yes, you want to learn to accept your body and maybe even love it, like you say, but also like recognize that's not the most important thing about you. You know, there's so much else that you have to offer to the world. And I think especially females and for sure, um, males too, like we're just so programmed to believe that that's the most interesting thing that we, that we have to offer. And just challenging that assumption can be a huge way to recognize and to foster and cultivate this sense of of self-love which extends beyond your body right 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 yeah bodies of all genders are acceptable um and our self-worth um is not all about our bodies um i mean for a lot of people it is and i think when people are very much in the throes of an eating disorder or a, a controlled um and or chaotic way of eating and either on either pole, I think that so much gets tied up in the body and sort of body loathing and body distrust. Um, but ultimately a lot of the healing comes from seeing yourself as a whole person. And then from that place, being able to learn how to care for the body. Yes. On one part of that, um, recovery journey. So it's like, it's like, it's an interesting, complicated sort of cycle. But um, sometimes you have to sort of accept the body first uh, and kind of accept the body as just a part of your whole self before you can learn how to take care of it. Totally. And that that to me is just what is such an important piece of this puzzle of how, like, what does it mean to nourish? And how do people how does one nourish one's body? I think um, it's it's so interesting that the conversation tends to get bigger and more down to the roots of like of what that what that really what that question is really about it's it's not really about the food it's not really about your body it's more about like your sense of who you are and your place in this world and your worthiness and all this stuff and working on some of those causes and conditions and and roots to why you might struggle or um, have anxiety about your body or food i think is such a an important way to approach approach things and approach this question of, of nourishment right and i think once you get to that place where you're kind of doing that work want some guidance. Um, I think that's where we come in as nutrition professionals, you know, people want some guidance around like, well, what I've been so, I've been so chaotically eating for so many years. Like, you know, I'm either on a diet or off a diet. I don't actually know what balance looks like. And so I do, you know, incorporate in the book, some, you know, kind of ideas about balance and some ideas about, well, what to think about when you're wondering if you have, food sensitivities. Like what, like, what do you do? Like there's so much information out there about, um, about food and exercise. And like, it's kind of staggering, um, to try to figure out like, well, what is the best way to take care of myself? And I think, um, you know, I think you page, you're good at sort of the, the idea of sort of gentle nutrition, like really helping people come to a place of, of um, figuring out out that for themselves, but also with some guidance. 
um, if they really feel lost. So that's that was what I attempted to do in the book is to both have like some concrete, um, very broad sort of guidelines around common sense nutrition and around creating movement practices. I call them movement practices instead of like exercise because I think exercise is a word that has a bit of a connotation of negativity for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But um, but that you know there there's some there's some guidance around how to do that how to, what questions to ask yourself to sort of create these food and exercise or movement practices in your life but then also to kind of think about well this isn't really all that it's about there's like a bigger connection with your own needs that's a part of this process like being able to ask for what you need of yourself and of those around you is also a big part of being able to sort of feed yourself well. And I put feed, you know, in quotes on a, you know, on a bigger level. And that will absolutely allow you more room and more spaciousness to then feed yourself practically well. Oh, I love it. It'll be easier. It'll just be easier. I love it. You have done such a good job with this book. And like you said, they're really there really isn't much out there that says, hey, this is some practical guidance for the question that everybody wants to ask dietitians, which is what should I eat and how should I eat, right? Um, and I think you do such a good job of exploring, you know, some of the the things that people need to kind of get in place or at least work on or practice before you can kind of get to that question and then providing some some structure and some ideas of what balance might look like or questions to ask yourself to assess where you are with these things. I think you've done such a good job with such a tricky topic. And if there's anyone who understands how tricky it is, it's, it's me and and the other dietitian listeners out there. It's like, it's such a tricky, tricky space to occupy, but I think you did such an incredible job. So I hope everybody goes out and buys the book. Oh, thank you so much, Paige. I really appreciate your your kind words and your enthusiasm. And, um, you know, I've been doing this work for, you know, over two decades and also um, struggled with the questions myself as a human being, Um, you know, and I I write about that in the book. So I feel like, you know, it's both lived experience and, um, you know, the, the wisdom of all of my clients that have gotten to me to this place where I could even write a book like this. So I'm just so grateful for the mentors I've had along the way, who are many, for the, you know, the clients who are like my teachers, my family, you know, who are definitely big teachers. So it's not, you know, I feel like so many people wrote this book, not just me. Um, So like, I, I just so appreciate your, you know, your enthusiasm. And it's been really fun to talk about it with you. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I've had a blast too. Take a minute, Heidi, and talk about how people can find you and how people can um, order the book or find the book. Well, I am online at um, anourishingword.com. So it's anourishingword, W-O-R-D.com. Um, and you can buy the book there at my website. I always love it when people buy directly from me. Um, but it's also available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and at fine booksellers everywhere. And if you don't see it in your local bookstore, like I think it's important to support your local bookstores, please ask for it because they can order it from uh, my distributor. Um, and, um, yeah, if anyone has any questions, you know, they can certainly reach out, but, um, most of the information about the book and about 
me and my services and all of that are on my website. Awesome. Well, thank you, Heidi. This has been a blast. I've enjoyed every second of talking with you. And um, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Paige. It was delightful for me too. Well, I sincerely hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you haven't already, please go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll see you soon for another episode.